Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the races and monsters of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their real-life counterparts in mythology and folklore. This episode, we're going to be looking at Medusa and the Gorgon. And you have to combine them because you cannot discuss Gorgons without mentioning Medusa, and you can't talk about Medusa without describing the Gorgons. Um, I was also excited to do this episode because it was this that caused me to think that something like this would be an interesting topic. While looking through, uh, trying to find a good monster for a one-shot story, I saw Gorgons, and after looking at him, I saw a metallic bull looking at me. And having an interest in Greek and Roman mythology since about fifth grade, and I'm much older than that now, I knew something was wrong. And then looking up Medusa, Medusa wasn't a name, it was a species. And I had to know why Medusa was an entire species of creature and the Gorgons were some bull. And you'll be surprised to know, I think I actually was able to track down through the Googles that exact reason why and we will explore that today uh yeah i mean the gorgons and medusas two creatures that are completely different in the realms of of D, &D. uh two creatures that could not look nor act more different yet they share a common bond or two so definitely worth uh, uh talking it out all right so as always let us begin with the D&D facts on both these creatures. Okay, so let's talk about the Gorgon first. We're going to go into some descriptors here, as they're pretty universal throughout most of the editions. Uh, Silver-horned, metallic, scale-covered bull, breathing a green vapor. Uh, this beastie is uh, pretty... Uh, it doesn't, doesn't really change much through most of the editions, as... As I go through uh, various versions of the monster manual and things, uh, looks like uh, this silver-horned, metallic, scale-covered bull, uh, just a, a large moo cow, essentially. But it's always described as a bull, uh, and it's always also uh, comes with this mysterious green vapor that it seems to breathe in and out, uh, and and it's got an odd diet for a bovine creature. This thing doesn't really eat, um, it's not an herbivore and it's not a carnivore. It doesn't eat meat and it doesn't eat vegetables. What it does eat is stone, preferably stone that has just recently uh, been transmuted to stone from flesh. Uh, hence the green vapor in, in and around this large metallic bowl. Um, its breath is actually a breath weapon. It petrifies its enemies, turning them to stone, and that is where this beastie uh, finds its meals, finds its nutrients, its sustenance. Uh, not eating uh, the regular stone here and there, but preferring to munch on freshly made statues. So, uh, kind of uh, the thing nightmares are made of, you know, eating... eating. <laughs> Not only being frozen or petrified, but then being eaten, as you can't like move around or anything. Kind of terrifying. Uh, 
Um, one of so the you're saying the uh, Gorgon is a new type of stoner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I wonder if it, you know, it could eat, you know, maybe pick up the residual effects of what it does eat. You know, uh, barbarians would be a little, a little meaty flavored or, you know, maybe a, a, an odd feeling or sensation if you crunch down the occasional bard. Maybe that's why they, uh, <laughs> they go for the statues. <laughs> Um, one of the cooler little uh, descriptors I found in uh, the various monster manuals is when it's ill or unwell, the scales of this beast will become rusty or maybe moss-covered, uh, uh, creaking and grinding uh, and whatnot. Sounds kind of... Uh, uh, sounds like if this creature was ill, you would hear it coming versus, you know, the... the it being a well-oiled machine, it seems, when it is often healthy and whatnot. Kind of kind of different. Uh, I picture, it's too easy to picture like a metallic bull with patches of rust or moss on it, kind of representing like the mange you would see on, you know, real, real living cows and things. Uh, one of the other uh, more common traits is that it's uh, not domesticatable. It is wild, violent, and territorial by nature. And I kind of get a kick out of that because it does, you know, it's a bovine creature. It is kind of, it's a moo cow, essentially a giant metal moo cow, silver horns, iron, or, you know, some sort of metallic scales. But uh, it's just so damn ornery. It wants nothing to do with anybody. <laughs> um, so uh, that being said, uh, from a DM perspective, this is like a good medium level obstacle. Uh, it's very fond of dungeons or labyrinthian kind of like territories. Uh, but it's not really like a boss type of character, but it's not really like a minion type of character. I feel like, uh, at least in my opinion, this monster is a good uh, placate or like a mid-quest encounter uh, versus, you know, something that the characters would seek out on their own. You know, it's 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 got a little bit of a bag of tricks, but it's it's nothing to write home about as far as you know the dungeons and dragons realms and and beasties it's it's more like a, a medium level obstacle as much as it is you know a creature or combat so uh is that uh pretty close to the gorgons that you had uh, found in your research uh minus the turning people to stone not really <laughs> uh if you look at traditional gorgons uh but yeah, I, I'd agree. They're definitely uh, mid-level, kind of a mini-boss uh, to steal from mythology. They would be one of the 12 labors of Hercules rather than being the whole story. They're just an objective you probably have to save a town from, but they're not going to be your BBEG for a character story arc. Yeah, right? That makes more sense. Yeah, when you put it like that, it's... Kind of how I see it, anyway. It's not so so impressive that you need to dedicate a lot of time or or narrative uh, energy towards that. But you know, it is you know I don't know. I find it kind of interesting. You could definitely squeeze it in in like a labyrinth or something. You know, keep keep players on their toes, looking for a minotaur, but find the gorgon type of situation. Um, so let's move on down to the Medusa. Kind of some descriptors with her. Typically, the snake-haired lady everybody everybody knows from TV or, or 
various mythology. Uh, humanoid, uh, sometimes a scale-covered woman uh, with facial features that resemble a snake's. Other times, like a beautiful maiden. Just kind of depends on what edition you're asking about, really, as far as D&D is concerned. Uh, one of the cool things about this Medusa is that they are in all realms and regions and even cities. Like, they do not have a specific kind of area to call their own, whereas, like, the Gorgon is typically found in, you know, a series of cave networks or a labyrinth type of situation. Uh, there is no preferred terrain, rather, for the Medusa. You can find them all over. And uh, the Medusa is a cursed creation, one that, uh, unlike the Gorgon, it can, can be affected by its own curse, uh, hence their hatred for mirrors. You know, if you gaze upon Medusa, petrification is set to ensue, or at least that's the uh, legends and, and rumors, but also, if Medusa gazes at Medusa, she petrifies her own self. So, typically in this kind of uh, beasties-like layer, you're not going to find a lot of reflective services or mirrors or, or things of the, of the like. And um, so, as far as Medusa uh, being a cursed kind of entity, these, this, the way to become a Medusa, the way to uh, they perpetuate, I guess, uh, is basically deals with dark gods or demon lords or arch devils that never seem to work out how we think. You know, this is how this basically breeds Medusa's de deals for eternal youth or or beauty or adoration. You know, these kind of deals gone wrong are are what spawns them into the realms of of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, one thing uh, uh, these characters kind of have in common, obviously, is the petrification ability but uh another thing they have in common is that they are both often only described as one sex uh the gorgons are almost always a bull they're always a male uh moo cow horns and all and then the medusa in retrospect is always a female you know you don't there is no man dusa it's all it's all all women and uh so it's kind of weird i Kind of, I get how the Medusa can be spawned through the curses of you know the many dark lords or archdevils or whatever, but it's kind of weird and this is kind of speculative for the Gorgon to be considered mostly all males. You know, like I would, I don't know. This is all speculation, but I would say something along the lines of like an asexual creature that lays eggs or something. You know, just to make it that much more weirder, just to give it a little more depth maybe in the world uh, uh but that's definitely like i said that's definitely some speculation but they're also both layer beasts you know whereas the gorgon will typically be found in and around a layer and the medusa will typically build their own layer themselves you know um and the medusa has a lot of different layer templates because she's not really limited to uh any particular region you know also i like the thought of the medusa like npc like a faction boss excellent thieves and assassins if you look at their total stats you know so giving a class kind of helps humanize the monster rather than just be another treasure hoarding layered beast you know um that being said i do kind of enjoy the uh the at least the speculation the the thought fodder i guess of playing like a medusa underboss a medusa like criminal syndicate i mean think about it when it's a an assassin or a thief they probably 
be a pretty good like underworld associate type because anybody that sees them say doing something illegal just becomes a statue right so i don't know or that and a couple of other descriptors in a few other editions describe the medusa's ability to conceal herself as top notch you know often getting people very close to her before they realize uh what she is entirely so uh that being said that's about all i've got on both the gorgon and the medusa what did you uh dig up this week well to bring it back to medusa as an underworld boss I recall reading a novel, and I don't remember what the title of it was, but it was definitely a fantasy story, where they go into a city and they talk to a rich sort of crime boss that did end up being a Medusa type. So at least somebody out there is on the same wavelength as you. Uh, so getting into... Medusa and the Gorgons, we definitely have to start with Gorgons first, as that's the creature type. Um, they've been around for about 6,000-ish years, uh, and though not always Greek, it is believed that perhaps they were part of a previous civilization, such as the Hettites, and they found these masks, uh, and they were used to... Uh, ward off lies curses like the evil eye or to inspire fear into their enemies uh so what does the gorgon look like well they've been portrayed as female creatures with wings uh hair being made up of snakes they had round faces flat noses uh husks like a boar and tongues that would loll out with other large projecting teeth. So, you know, real beauties. Much different from the D&D version, but super creepy. Oh, equally uh, disturbing beasties. <laughs> oh, most definitely. And the first stories about the Gorgon, such as in the Odyssey by Homer, there was only one. And... They gave it the name uh, Gorgonia, and it wasn't until about 700 BC, uh, Hesiod changed the Gorgons and made three of them. Seno, which means the mighty, Uriel, the far springer, and Medusa, the queen. However, they were all three similar. They were all looked the same. The only difference is that Medusa was mortal, although why was never really explained. And these were daughters of the sea goddess Keto and the sea god Phorcys. And Keto actually was considered the queen of the sea monsters. Uh, it said that she gave birth to all sorts of monsters now found in Greek mythology, according, including the Ladon, which is the dragon who guards the tree of golden apples in Hera's garden, as well as Echidna, who is also a mother of, sea, of 
creatures, monsters found in later tales, such as the Sphinx, the Nambian Lion, the Hydra, um, all share this parentage. They are also were siblings with the Grey, which were three women who had white or silver hair, one tooth, and one eyeball to share amongst each other. And having one eye between the three comes up later on when you get into the actual stories of the Gorgons. So at this time, they were just already there. Medusa was a Gorgon, ugly as the rest, and uh, the only one who could be mortal. It wasn't until you get to about 8 AD, or the 1st century BCE, that you get into Ovid, or Ovid, who took Medusa, and instead of having her be ugly like her sisters, was instead beautiful. She had the most gorgeous hair, and everybody fell in love with her when they saw her. She was a priestess of Athena. One, well, entity to lust after her was Poseidon, who agreed that she had very lovely hair. And he decided he wanted to have sex with her, even if she was not willing. So to escape, she ran into Athena's temple. However, he followed her and raped her in the temple. And because of the time that this story takes place, Athena, knowing she could not punish Poseidon, punished Medusa by making her ugly like her sisters and giving her the snake hair and having her turn men into stone. So, I've also, I've seen people try and say that Athena actually did it out of goodness because she saw her priestess have this horrible event happen to her as a way of protecting her. This curse was placed upon her. However, knowing the attitudes of the people from that time, you were still dealing with very much the culture of if she didn't want it, she wanted to have worn what she was wearing. And so chances are that no, it was never a positive. It was the woman took the brunt of the punishment. So Medusa goes to live with her sisters. Fast forward a little bit and you have a king who has a daughter named Danae. And he hears an oracle that his daughter is going to become pregnant and the grandson is going to kill this king. So, you know, he stresses out a little and he takes his daughter and locks her up so that nobody could ever get with her. Well, Zeus, being the hornball he is, found her. And in order to have relations with her, turns himself into a golden rain and gets her pregnant. So here's your first story of a golden shower. <laughs> All of the Greek gods are super rapey, I noticed. <laughs> Most. Uh, Poseidon and Zeus were definitely the worst. 
And, you know, I, I've heard it said before, and I agree, Sky Gods are assholes. Hades, surprisingly, is a very noble god. I mean, he didn't give a shit about anything going on in any other realm, but he took one wife, and he was faithful to her. So, I guess if you want somebody, forget Zeus and Poseidon, go for a Hades type. Get you a goth. But anyway, so Danae gets pregnant, and she gives birth to a child named Perseus. And in order to protect himself, the king doesn't want to kill Danae and this child because, well, <laughs> that's a child of Zeus. So he, instead, he locks him into a chest and ships him out to sea. It's not his fault if they die then. They don't. They're found, and Perseus grows up while a king in their new land, falls in love with Danae and tries to wed her, but wants, has to get rid of Perseus first, so he sends him on an impossible quest to bring him the head of Medusa. And that's where we get back to our current story. So, Perseus has to find out how he can kill Medusa, because he knows that the stair will turn him into stone. So he goes to the Grey, and he steals their one eye. And he threatens not to give it back unless they tell him how to defeat her and where she is. So they give him the secrets. You have to get this Helm of Invisibility, you need this Winged Boots of Hermes, and you need the Shield of Athena. After collecting all these, he goes to where uh, Medusa is using the shield to protect him from having to look at her, he cuts her head off. From her head sprouts two children. The first one being Pegasus, the winged horse. The other one being a giant, and I want to say his name is Kratos. Um, my page isn't pulling up, but... Imagine that being your way of giving birth, you know, out of the neck. I know my wife is happy that our two kids came out a more normal style. It'd be kind, of, it'd be kind of brutal if you had to behead your wife for the, the sake of your children. And then one of them to be a winged horse. So yeah, I mean, you're going to yeah. have to talk with her after that. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for the beheading. I don't know. <laughs> This all happens uh, in terms of a time frame. Either A, she was raped by Poseidon and remained pregnant with his children, but they didn't spring forth, so it could have been years. Or she had one hell of a bad year between Poseidon raping her and Perseus killing her. Oh man, yeah. And then she's she's cursed because she was raped and then some guy comes and cuts her head off like <laughs> she did not have a good she yeah, she must have done some shady shit in a past life or something. She got she got the raw end of the deal in this uh in this lore. <laughs> oh, definitely. But it is definitely from the tale of Ovid that you see Medusa as being a beautiful woman, which would then carry over to how she gets characterized in video games and movies and such. Uh, and her other kid's name was Chrysor, the giant. Now that that wanted to pull up. So after 
Perseus cut off her head, her head was still live, meaning her gaze could still turn people into stone. So Perseus is pursued by her sisters, who are immortal, as he runs off with his head in a bag. And on his travels, he ends up going across Africa. And it's said that blood from her head dripped onto the lands of Libya and gave rise to the venomous snakes. It's also said he uh, encountered Atlas and after a dispute turned him into stone, so into a mountain that holds up the world, or, or and, as he crossed Ethiopia, he saved Andromeda, who was said to be eaten alive by a sea creature after her mom had embarrassed Poseidon by saying that her daughter Andromeda is prettier than the sea nymphs that are children of Poseidon. So, you know, in order to get on his good side, she had to be eight. Uh, but he used the head of Medusa to uh, turn the Cetus uh, either into stone or just use a sword to defeat the monster and took Andromeda as his wife. Where he went back to where his mom was and used Medusa's head to turn the king into stone. Uh, later on he did accidentally kill his grandfather during an Olympic Games event and it is said from Perseus you got Heracles down his bloodline. Uh, as I was saying, that is the tale of Medusa and the Gorgons, according to Greek and Roman mythology. However, it does raise the question, where in the hell did a bull come from? And so there are a few thoughts on this. One is that Gary Gygax took it from the Kalkatoroi. These are also known as the Colchis Bulls. Uh, came from the story of Jason and the Argonauts. After finding where the Golden Fleece was and reaching the kingdom, Jason tried to get the Golden Fleece from the king. So he, the king told him, okay, you want it, you have to first plow my fields with my uh, beasts of burden, which ended up being these Colchis bulls which were made of bronze and would spew magma or fire from their mouths. So you have here metal bulls spewing something from their mouth. Fire and magma rather than a poison or a paralyzer, but the idea is there. But is there something better? And the answer is yes. You then have what is called the Tatoblepas, which uh, Pliny the Elder in his bestiary wrote about as coming from Libya. And he describes them as having a gaze that was like a basilisk in that it could turn people into stone. Uh, the Tatoblepas is thought to have been a water buffalo or a cape buffalo uh in its description and just miscategorized and its head was so heavy it would just be able to only look down and cataplepis means downward in greek 
So, okay, well, you now have a, another bull-type creature, only this one can paralyze. Is that where he got it from? Well, probably not, as he would have just used the word cataplipas to describe the creature. Why change it to Gorgon? Well, in this research, I went to Reddit, or I googled it, which took me to Reddit, where somebody linked a WordPress blog post that described a book by Edward Topsell called The History of Four-Legged Beasts. And instead of taking the blog's word at it, I found the entry through the University of Chicago. And he does list the Gorgon. So, how does he describe the Gorgon? He says that they are bred in Africa, and the Gorgon is brought forth in that country. It is a terrible and fearful beast to behold. It has high, thick eyelids, eyes not very great, but all fiery, bloody, and neither look directly forward nor yet upwards, but continually down at the earth, and therefore called the Catoblepanta. They have a long mane from the crown of their head to their nose. It eats deadly and poisonful herbs. And if at any time he sees a bull or other creature where he is afraid, it causes the mane to stand upright, and being so lifted, opening his lips and gaping wide, send forth his throat a certain sharp and horrible breath, which infects and poisons the air above his head, so that all living creatures which draw in breath of the air are afflicted, losing both voice and sight, and fall into lethal and deadly convulsions. And it is bred in Hesperia and Livia. So here it is, we see that Edward Topsell in 1607 took the Catoblepa and turned it into a Gorgon. So for some reason, Gary Gygax either found this entry or another book that references this, that references this book. We can see why the Gorgon looks the way it does. Because obviously that is a completely different take than what uh, the Greek and Romans uh, described Gorgons as. So what did he do with Medusa? Did he just not mention her? The answer is no. He still talks about Medusa and the others in this entry. But what he describes Medusa as is an Amazon queen with whom Perseus declared war upon when he slew her and cut off her head. So Medusa wasn't so much a Gorgon, but a tribal queen. And after being decapitated and everything else, the Greeks took that tale and just changed it into what I described earlier. So, Edward Topsell, you know, I mean, it's been 400 plus years. He needs to get his shit together and change this entry because it's obviously wrong. But, I was happy. I was satisfied. 
that this right here is why the Gorgon is a bull. I mean, it's still probably borrowed from the Calcatori, uh, in terms of it being a metallic bull, but at least with this, it's like he didn't just take a Gorgon and completely change it. This entry gave a very bad description of the Gorgon. And that's just where he stole it from. And then, you know, having a snake-haired, snake-bodied woman who could paralyze people is just too good of a tale to pass up. I mean, that is a really good villain. Again, mini-boss, but a really good villain. So, instead of trying to create a whole new name for him, just take the most famous one, Medusa, and make it the name for the species. It at least makes sense. And it's not a source of frustration you know if you're going to get pissed at somebody get pissed at top cell although i don't think he cares anymore and so that is the mythology and folklore of medusa and the gorgons so with that information you know what can you do with that to change it up as i mentioned before i love gray areas so what if you take Ovid's idea of a Medusa being a beautiful woman who is cursed to look that, that way, and instead of just killing her outright, you will create a storyline where your players can try to break this curse. Perhaps by getting on the good side of a god, you know, doing jobs for him, or through some talisman. Or if you really want to have fun, and you like chaos, take the fact that out of the three Gorgons, two are immortal, one is mortal, and you have your players fight all three, only one of which they could kill to complete the mission, <laughs> and they don't know which one. So now they're in this large combat, trying to avoid getting paralyzed, while at the same time having to figure out which one of these three they can actually attack and do damage to. And you can leave little clues or, you know, if you're a real asshole, you just, oh yeah, you hit and it looks like it did damage, regardless of who they hit. Oh yeah, getting, you having getting your players' minds is always part of, is most of the fun, you know? Any way you can do that, especially if it's narratively pleasing like that, you know? <laughs> It's it's usually worth it, nine times out of ten. <laughs> oh, definitely. But, yeah, you know, it was a strange curiosity to me that Medusa and Gorgon were created as two such separate entities. And, honestly, just because we did this podcast, you know, it made me actually look for an answer. And now I'm actually kind of looking at the bestiary because there are definitely some interesting uh creatures that come out of those especially with pliny the elder which i've looked at and now this one because i mean they didn't go investigate these creatures they just took stories and marked them as true so you get the unicorn you got the basilisk you got the cockatrice and so it's a really nice source of uh creature lore that you can then turn around and use in your own way 
I like the uh, the kind of like the birthing aspect of like lobbing off Medusa's head and then like being springing forth from that. You know, that's kind of a uh, that's a different aspect on, on beings being breathed into the world. Uh, but you know, it also kind of I mean, when you think of Medusa, you know, lore and everything included, you kind of think of snakes, right? Like you get like reptiles. So like, how does a you know, a, a flying horse <laughs> work his way into this, you know? Uh, you know, once again, some thought fodder, you know, something you might be able to, able to run with narratively, but, ah, man, that, you know, it just kind of, uh, I'm stuck on that for the moment. It's kind of a, <laughs> how the hell? Well, so a giant and a flying horse fell out of her head. Like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> well, that's part of the fun of ancient, stories and old stories is that before natural selection before darwin really introduced that idea how creatures came to be was completely really unknown and arguably that's why you got more of uh bigfoot type creatures or monkey to human uh, crossbreeds after that however before that you know werewolves and all sorts of other stories that just don't make physiological sense. Well, they didn't know any better. I guess it, yeah, and, it, it kind of makes sense to like not have it all like physiologically worked out, you know, back in the day. It's uh, you could almost attribute it to like a lady, a, a lady, a lazy writer, you know, like he's like, no, uh, yeah, oh yeah, Pegasus fell out of this guy's head. Okay, and then keep going and telling his own story, you know, like. I don't know. It's got, uh, you know, the physiology just wouldn't quite work. It's a lot easier to say, oh, uh, this godlike creature sprang forth from this other place or being. You know, I think there's a couple stories where, like, someone jumps right out of Zeus's forehead or something. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, and then that's his daughter now. Or so, you know, so it's it's a lot easier to to roll with that narratively than to give the long and uh, ex existential breakdown of the you know everything uh, uh breeding and reproduction wise to to create this creature it's like nah jumped out of zeus's forehead or fell out of medusa's throat you know <laughs> well the forehead one is the birth of athena and what it is is zeus tricked his first wife who is pregnant uh, and he believed that his first child would do to him what he did to his father, what his father did to his father. And so he tricked her into turning into a fly and ate her. And then he got a splitting headache until he had his skull split open and Athena, fully dressed and fully grown, popped out. Uh, you also had Hera, I believe it was, who had a child of her own all by herself uh one of them had a baby put into their thigh to raise to full born and that's where you got another god uh i'm not so surprised by the horse and giant uh poseidon was father of the cyclops that appears in uh the odyssey that uh ulysses tricks by saying his name is nobody and stabbing him in the eye and escape under his sheep so poseidon's already associated with a giant type creature you then have the tale of poseidon creating the horse so father of horses 
So yeah, having a flying horse and a giant, it's natural for that god. That makes sense now when you when you talk about like Poseidon's domains. That, that does make a little more sense. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have any uh, questions, comments, thoughts? Ah, uh, nope. I uh, you know some of that I I learned in school. Some of that uh, not so much. I, I was somewhat familiar with the uh, tales around the uh, Gorgons and Medusas, but uh, you definitely filled in some holes, filled in a few blanks there. And, uh, yeah, I definitely didn't realize that Medusa got the raw end of the fucking deal, man. Like, wow, she, uh, she is, uh, she pissed off somebody in another life or something. She does not get the, uh, better end of the business there in the, uh, Greek mythology. <laughs> well, that one came from Ovid, which was Roman. So, in, in Greek, she was a monster from birth. Um, as, when you got to Ovid and Roma, and Romans that, you know... Oh yeah, she was this great beauty who then had a horrible day and got punished for it and then had an even worse day. Yeah, like, and then, you know, possibly an even worse year. If you know, and Then, after all that bullshit, somebody comes and cuts her head off. <laughs> Alright, well, thank you everybody for tuning in to this episode. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or you want to hear any particular topics uh sooner rather than later you can email us at monsters and mythos all spelled out at gmail.com i believe on deck we have the gnome and vampires coming up so tune in and if you would be so kind uh give us a five star review or whatever the highest rating is on whatever platform you listen to so that perhaps our show could be recommended to those with similar interests who just don't think to look for this specific topic. Yeah, and um, if you want to tune in to me and Chris doing more nerdy shit, check out Taterbrain Pod's YouTube channel or Instagram.